a lot of what I try to talk about in the long game is not things that take huge amounts of time. We don't have huge amounts of time. I mean, creating an estimate is something that will take you five minutes for like pretty much your whole to-do list. But just that exercise and practicing it over time to understand where you are systematically over or underestimating something enables you to get sharper. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now here's your host, Matt Lyles. I've got a confession for you. While I'm so grateful for my business and the opportunities that it's affording me, sometimes I look at my business and I get a little down. I get a little depressed. I get a little frustrated. And it's all around thinking that I'm not accomplishing what I should by this point in my business. I should have done more by now. I should have achieved this much revenue by now. I should be more successful now. You know, so many of us look at Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and we think, wow, what a little witch. Thank goodness that's not me. But how many of us look at our businesses, look at our careers, look at our lives and say, I want overnight success and I want it now, daddy. That was my uh, attempt at a Veruca Salt voice. Hey, I'm sure you've heard this before, and it's absolutely true. Success, real, sustainable success, takes time. But not only does it take time, it also takes work. Strategic, intentional, and focused work. And it takes setting up the right decisions and boundaries so that you can ensure you're always focused on the right work. When you add all those things together, it's not that easy to do. We need help in understanding how to plan for and play that long game. We need a framework. We need guidance. We need a strategy. And that's why it was such a big help for me to talk with Dory Clark this week. Dory's a leadership consultant, keynote speaker, and professor at both Duke University's Fuqua School of Business and Columbia Business School. She's a contributor to Harvard Business Review, and she's been named as one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by Thinkers 50. Dory's also the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, and Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of the year by Inc. Magazine. And Dory's recent book, just hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list too, The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. If you think about where we are today and what technology and customer experience has provided us, we're actually pretty spoiled as it relates to instant gratification. While it's great to be able to get our hands onto most anything we want either overnight or same day, That expectation is spilling over into our lives and what we expect to achieve. But that's not the case. Real significance, real milestones, real achievements take time. 
In the long game, Dory shows us why it takes time, but she also gives us the strategies and frameworks to work toward those goals while it's taking time, so we don't simply give up when realistic timelines and our own timelines don't match up. So here it is. Here's my interview with Dory Clark. Hi, Dory. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here with you, Matt. Yeah, well, we're here virtually, but yes, it's good seeing you and talking to you. Definitely. Well, so we're talking about your latest book, The Long Game. Congratulations on it. Thank you so much. And I have to say that I don't know about anybody else that's been reading the book, but to me, the book came to me at the exact right time. I think I shared with you, I'm about two-ish years into my entrepreneurial journey, and I'm at the point where I was starting to think, this really isn't getting the traction or I'm not getting the achievements that I thought maybe I would by this point in time. And I'm curious, like, what should my next steps be? And thankfully, my next step was reading The Long Game because it validated so much of what I'm doing right now. And it validated a lot of my questions and has inspired me to keep going and to keep playing The Long Game. So thank you. Well, I'm so glad to hear that, Matt. And it makes me feel good because I really was inspired to write the book because of folks in situations like yours. And this was a situation that I was in for sure when I started my business 15 years ago, that I felt like the process of just getting, you know, growing the platform, you know, getting your name out there, trying to build a reputation in your industry was often so challenging and felt like such an opaque process. You know, there's so much noise out there and the formula, if there is one, to break through seemed really complex to crack. And constantly it felt like I was not doing it as as fast or as well as I wanted. And so I really had to muscle through that process on my own. But now, you know, a decade and a half later, I work with a lot of folks doing coaching and I run an online community and I kept seeing the same things, the same patterns in the people that I work with where they were just hitting a wall sometimes where they felt frustrated or they felt like, oh, is it, is it not working or is it not working yet? And in the moment, it can be very, very hard to tell the difference between those two things. And so with the long game, I wanted to write a book that hopefully provided a bit of a framework for people to be able to make sense of it and hopefully encourage them to persevere so that they can get to the other side and be able to make the contribution that they want to make and that they should be making. And I think there's a number of things that are of significant value from that. And one of those things is helping people to recognize it's okay unless you're one of the select few that just happens to get lucky, because it does happen every once in a while, you're not going to achieve notoriety in the immediate term, in the immediate short-term period. So it's okay. And then here's the steps to take to make sure that when you do get to that level, you know, that you've prepared yourself along the way. Yeah, that's exactly right. And in fact, you're sort of in the the sweet spot right now, because what I have seen over time with patterns, both in my own career and, you know, again, I have 600 plus people who have gone through my recognized expert program. So I've gotten to see a pretty wide cross section of experience. And typically it seems to take on average 
two to three years before you really start to see signs of your effort in terms of building your brand, building your platform pay off. But you know, year two, year three, you start to see these little signs. I call them raindrops because they're right. almost sometimes so subtle, it's hard to tell. It's, you know, it's it like, well, what is that? Wait, is that actually a sign? But you start to see them. And then really it's often around year five where you start to see what I would say is demonstrable progress or a demonstrable sense that your effort is paying off. That's it. Absolutely right. I've read where you've talked about that two to three year mark, and I've heard you talk about two to three years. And so I was thinking to myself, okay, here's where I am in my journey. And then we had COVID for, you know, depending on how you look at it, you know, nine, 12, 18 months. So how does that play into my two to three years? So either way, I think 2022 is going to be a big year for me. That's right. I can, I can sense it. I can taste it for you. Yes. Hooray. But now, I want to go back and talk about your journey and your story, because you said something a moment ago, you talked about a 15 year career so far. And when I recall, so we met, I think it was spring of 2018. And so that was just a handful of years ago. And so my assumption was maybe that your journey had started a couple of years before that, but really it was more than twice that long. And your story has had a number of twists and turns, I think. So what are the impactful decisions that you made that have helped you get to where you are today? Well, a lot of the decisions that I made were not necessarily super strategic. It was the best that I could come up with it at the time, but it was only in retrospect that I realized the framework behind what I was doing. And so part of what animates my work, Matt, is really wanting to try to share what I've learned so that hopefully it can be better or faster or easier for other people down the pike uh, so that they don't have to kind of be reinventing the wheel or they don't have to sort of figure it out from scratch the way I felt like often I had to. Uh, But for instance, one thing that has been helpful to me Over the past decade, I put a lot of time and effort into trying to analyze and understand the question of what makes someone a recognized expert in their field. And what I concluded is that fundamentally, there are three key components. The first is content creation, because you need to be sharing your ideas publicly so that other people will know what they are, so that they can discover you and find you. There is social proof, which basically is what are the signifiers of your credibility so that other people will be more willing to take you seriously? And then finally, there is your network because you need other people to be magnifying what you are saying. And also you need to be learning from them and helping them as well. And so over time in various ways, I have worked on those three components. Uh, But just to take one example, content creation has been really invaluable for me because Ultimately, when I started my business, I had a very limited audience of uh, of potential clients. I mean, we start with the people we know, right? Right. And the people that I knew, it was not high-powered corporate executives. I didn't know them at all. Who I knew was people who ran little local nonprofits, that sort of thing. And if I had not done something to disrupt that dynamic, I probably would have stayed doing that forever. Maybe you get slightly better engagements or slightly 
more high profile clients, but you know, people fundamentally know people like themselves. So if, if you're strictly operating on referrals, largely uh, you are going to be working with the same type of people. So in order to change something, I knew I needed to give new audiences a way to discover me. And so for me, it was through writing. It doesn't have to be writing. It, you know, you can be speaking or podcasts or whatever, but somehow you have to create content to share your ideas. And those ideas are then able to travel further and you can change and upgrade your audience as needed. That's it. And I think early on in that process, it does help to have the people that you know that are reading your content or engaging with your content in some fashion. Because in a way, as you're writing more and more content, as you're creating more and more content, you get better. But in those early years, you can look at some of the ways that your tight network and how they're reading and engaging with your content as a way to test whether your content's working or not. So a lot of times, like if I send an email out and I'll go in and, and look at the analytics and I'll say, okay, like these are the people that are regularly opening my emails no matter what. So that means something. And then every so often, oh, wow, there's a few people that have shared this and they have forwarded this email on to 18 other people. Wow. So that must have been a really good piece of content. So that helps out. Absolutely. Yeah. Understanding those, those metrics, understanding where it seems like people are more interested. That's so valuable. I mean, early on, of course, it is super frustrating because we would all love to, you know, write an article and have a hundred thousand views or start a podcast and immediately get a hundred thousand downloads. But that pretty much doesn't happen. You have to sort of slog no. your way to it. And it feels so tiring and so onerous. But the truth is, it actually is kind of a favor because in most cases, we're not that good at first. And so it's better that 100,000 people aren't exposed to what we're doing. We need time to find our voice, to achieve product market fit, to get really comfortable and really good at what we're doing you know, we might be, we might be good, but you know, we're going to get better. Almost invariably, we are going to get better uh, through the practice and we will have the opportunity to discover what people want. And so later on, when we actually do have more eyeballs, we will have earned it and we will be ready for it. That's right. One of the things that I've been telling some people lately is as it relates to starting out, when you're starting, whether it's speaking or creating content or whatever. Absolutely. Yes. Your first is always your worst and you get better from there. You mentioned the third component here, which I want to touch on is your network. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed and that I've really tried to be intentional about over the past couple of years is to not be the smartest person in the room, is to align myself and meet with people that are much smarter than I am in certain areas. And it's really been helpful in growing my network that way. Even with my podcast here, every podcast episode, I come away being smarter than before recording that interview because of all the people that I get to talk to. And it feels like I'm getting you know, almost a free hour-long coaching session sometimes. Yeah, I love that. I, I think that's exactly right. And that's certainly a strategy that I used too. If you have a vehicle 
like a podcast or a blog that you write, publication you write for, it can actually serve to kill multiple birds with one stone because you're creating content and you're using it as a form of networking to, to meet people or to deepen relationships with them. And frankly, it's a form of professional development. So it, it checks a lot of boxes. And that's, that's my favorite thing. You know, in a very busy world, it's not like we have a lot of time, but if we use our time effectively and we're actually, you know, getting multiple things done, if we're getting three things done at the same time, that's a, a pretty good use of our time. It really is. And you even touch on that in your book where you talk about multitasking. And when I first got to that point, I thought, wait a minute, because I don't believe in multitasking because I know all the research says when you try and multitask, you're much less effective. But then as I read on and realized, oh, that's how you're describing multitasking. And yes, like, so right now, like this podcast interview, this is a form of multitasking and I'm getting multiple levels of value from that, from just this one task. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's a smart way to do things. I love it. Well, now I want to talk about people in general and as it relates to playing the long game. And I want to go back in time about, well, I guess this is about 15 years ago too, right? When you were starting your journey, my wife and I decided around 15 years ago that we wanted to play the long game with our finances, you know, keeping it simple, keeping it consistent, slow incremental growth, compound interest, all those things. And at that time, it was not fun. I mean, I'll tell you, I was not enjoying it at all. And it didn't feel like we were seeing significant results financially for the first few years. Yeah. But then after a while, we started noticing really major results. And then it started getting really fun watching our accounts grow exponentially, watching our mortgage shrink exponentially. But now when it comes to me personally and the tasks that I do, the goals that I create, my current venture, I feel frustrated as it relates to the long game. And it seems really difficult. And most people have difficulty playing the long game. So why is it so difficult for people? Well, I, I think you're pointing to something really important. And ultimately, finances actually are the perfect metaphor for playing the long game. And the same principles translate over to our career. Although I think for many of us, these principles are ingrained in finance, but we don't necessarily think about it uh, when it comes to our professional lives. I mean, if you know one thing about finance, you right. know, okay, don't put all your eggs in, in one basket. Don't just have one stock, have a basket, have a portfolio. And that is true professionally yes. as well. I mean, the entire point in many ways of my previous book, Entrepreneurial You, is about how to create multiple revenue streams in your business as a way of de-risking what you're doing. And even for people who have a day job that they love, they're happy, they never want to leave, it is still a very good idea to have some kind of a, a side gig, a sideline just in your back pocket. At a minimum, it can serve as a form of good professional development for you, a good way to network with people, who knows? At a maximum, it might be the thing that's your lifeline if you ever need it, God forbid. And I think that's very powerful. And similarly, you know, when it comes to playing the long game, I mean, you were talking about you and your wife 
saving and, you know, there is the sort of short-term pain. It's like, okay, well, you know, we're not going to eat out tonight or this month. We're, you know, we're going to cook at home and have the ramen or, you know, whatever the variation is. Coffee at home and not Starbucks. Right. And, you know, all of those little things. And it is, it is annoying. You know, there's, there's, there's no two ways about it when it comes to playing the long game in our careers. Oftentimes it means doing really boring things or really, or things that feel hard, or it feels like no one's paying attention. You know, it's, it's the equivalent of like taking public speaking training and joining Toastmasters because you know that one day you want to be a senior leader in an organization and you know that it's going to be important to be a good public speaker. And a lot of people, unfortunately, you know, they're not willing to take the hit now. And so they get up to some relatively senior position and then they are held back and they actually can't crack the top levels because the people around them say, oh my God, well, you know, she's really smart, but boy, she sucks at presenting. Like, how can we have someone like that as a leader? We need a motivational leader, right? right. You don't want to be on the cusp of success and have it denied to you because you failed to do the thing. Instead, you look ahead, you say, you know what, in five years, in 10 years, I want to be a senior leader. I know that public speaking is not my strong suit. I know I'm going to need to get better at it. So right now, every Monday night, I'm going to go to this freaking church basement and I'm going to practice and it's going to suck and it's going to feel embarrassing, but you do it now so that you don't have to do it later. And five years down the road, people say, well, geez, she's a fantastic speaker. She's an inspirational speaker. Of course, we want her as our leader. That's it. It's all preparation for the future. And I think one of the key things there is having a disciplined mindset about it. Like not just kicking the can down the road and saying, well, I know I need to be a, be a better speaker and I'll get speaking training when the time is right when it's time for me to step up. No, it's like having that discipline right now to do it consistently every day or every month or however long it is, like whatever it is you're working on to have that consistent discipline to focus on that. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And I think it's important to be aware too, the things we're doing, I mean, it might not be amazing. It might not feel great, but whatever we're doing now, the pain, quote unquote, that we're experiencing is very small compared to what it would be later on. I mean, you know, again, let's go back to finance. We all know that if you can get in the habit when you're 25 of putting away 50 bucks or 100 bucks a month, that makes such an enormous difference in terms of compound interest that, you know, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I mean, you know, broadly speaking, you're like way better off than if you started saving $1,000 a month when you're 30 or 40. You know, it's it's just so different. And there's a little hit, but it's it's small. It's sometimes almost imperceptible. Uh, it's like committing to a fitness regimen that's not too taxing, but it's something that you do rather than you suddenly discover you're 50 pounds overweight and you have to make these massive wholesale life transformation, which is very, very hard to do. Instead, if we can say, you know what, if I can just find a way to make it to the gym twice a week and just keep that as a habit, it can prevent us from getting to the point where your doctor is sitting you down and saying, you, you have to change or it's going to be an enormous problem very soon. 
That's right. Yeah. It's having that focus of little actions over time, you know, just maybe twice a week for a number of years is much better than going a number of years down the road and having to take major action. Absolutely. But now when we think about that and we think about goal setting, creating goals and playing the long game, I've got this tendency. I don't know about you, but it seems like I have the tendency to overestimate my abilities and underestimate how long it's going to take me to do certain tasks or achieve certain goals. So I'm curious, does our ability to estimate time play into playing the long game? I, I think it totally does. Uh, but I think that there's there's ways to get better at it. And I will give you a very clear example. I mean, I'm pretty bad, honestly, too, Matt, at <laughs> estimating time sometimes. And we all are. Yeah, I think I think it's a human thing. I mean, obviously, if there's a task you do literally all the time, you're going to have a pretty good sense. You know, like, oh, OK, my commute is somewhere between 22 and 37 minutes. You know, like you in, you know, the minute you see the traffic backed up at exit eight, you know, OK, it's going to be a 37 minute day. Like you got it. I by now have done, you know, so many blog posts, for instance, like I know how long it takes me to write a blog post, but there are plenty of tasks that I do that are a little less well-defined or I do them less frequently. And I really don't know. And so I try to sharpen myself. And so I actually on my, on my to-do list. And of course in productivity circles, there's lots of debate about whether to-do lists are actually a good thing or not, but nonetheless, I have a to-do list and I actually go through regularly and I will put my estimate for the time that it takes for doing certain tasks. Oh. And I, and then I cross-reference it because I, first of all, it helps make it easier because if I see a 45 minute gap in my schedule, you know, I can say, oh, okay, well, I have 45 minutes between this meeting and the next one. What can I do in 45 minutes so that I'm not just like, mucking around and wasting the time. And I can look on my calendar and say, okay, I think this will take 45 minutes or, you know, perhaps even better to give a little margin. Oh, this is a 30 minute task. I can, I can knock this out and have time to get some water and, you know, walk around the, the office and, and then come back. And if you do that, you can begin to get a more intuitive understanding of what actually is a 30 minute task or an hour long task or an eight hour long task and make smarter decisions both up front about what you're committing to, because you will have a better, more accurate sense of what the scope really is, and also when you can fit it in. Wow. Whether to-do lists are wrong or right, I see a lot of value in what you just shared, a lot of value in placing the estimated time with each of those tasks. I'm I would like to try and do that going forward with my to-do list. Yeah, it's a, it's a simple thing to do. Again, a lot of what I try to talk about in the long game is not things that take huge amounts of time. We don't have huge amounts of time. I mean, creating an estimate is something that will take you five minutes for like pretty much your whole to-do list. But just that exercise and practicing it over time to understand where you are systematically over or underestimating something enables you to get sharper. That's it. That's it. Did you know that in addition to my podcast and my articles, I speak to audiences all over to help them simplify their customer experience and simplify their employee experience? I've spent the last few years leading a crusade of simplicity across the globe. If you want a winning brand, you have to provide a simple experience to your customers 
and to your team members. Whether it's a live event or a virtual event, I'd love to partner with you and teach your audience how to do just that. With over a decade in marketing, I know how to hook and captivate an audience. And as a speaker, I know how to connect with that audience. Along with my lessons, I use stories and humor to keep everyone engaged and inspired. Then they leave with the knowledge and next steps to transform their business. As an event planner, you're managing lots of details to give your audience the most memorable event. The last thing you need is a speaker who will make your event memorable for all the wrong reasons. Not only will I leave your audience energized and inspired, I'll make it easy for your team to work with me. Hey, if I've built my brand around simplicity, then you know I'm going to make it simple for you. When you visit mattliles.com speaking, you'll find everything you need to know, including details on my topics, promotional materials, and most importantly, a link to connect with my team so we can book your event. So visit mattliles.com speaking. I can't wait to help your audience brand out from the crowd. As I get into thinking about playing the long game, you know, much of long game thinking, I think comes from clarity and focus. So I'm curious, are there any strategies, frameworks, or practices that can help someone figure out what they should be focusing on as they're playing the long game? Well, I think when it comes to understanding what you should be focusing on, if it's a long enough term goal, we actually don't have to have huge amounts of clarity up front. I think that's an important thing to note because sometimes people get hung up and they feel like, oh, wow, I, you know, I, I shouldn't even be setting these goals. I, I don't, because I wouldn't know what to do. I, I don't have any idea how to accomplish this. And that is fine. It would be almost preposterous to imagine if you're setting a 10 year goal that you right this minute would know exactly how to accomplish it. And also, frankly, that the world would be similar enough over the course of 10 years for that plan to play right. out. Odds are the world's going to be different. So Maybe an 18-month global pandemic in there. You know, could be, in fact. <laughs> so I'm not too too worried about, uh, about that. I, I think the question is really just focused on the beginning and the end. And the end, the end goal is, you know, what is a goal that, that speaks to you? There doesn't really have to even be a lot of science to it. It's what do you think would be cool for your life? You know, what's exciting? What's fun? One goal for for me, a 20-year goal, I'd like to become a United States ambassador. Why? I think it would be cool, Matt. That's why. (laughs) Of course it would. Yeah. You know, live, live in a foreign country and get to meet interesting people and do some public service and, you know, all of that. I think that would be great. So I don't really know uh, quite how to get there. I mean, if I was predicting it, what I would actually need to know is who is going to be president in 20 years, which is a little hard to predict at this point. So Best uh, of luck to you. Thank you. Thank you. So I don't know is the answer, but what you can control, you know, you create that vision and then what you can control is like, well, what is the step you can take today? And 
the step you can take today, I mean, right now, 20 years out, it is small steps. Maybe it's doing things like reading books about, um, you know, like a memoir by ambassadors. Maybe it's uh, sort of networking and getting to know people who are former ambassadors. You know, there's a there's a variety of small things that you can do to educate yourself more about the process. No, that's that's really really good. And I think about some of the some of the goals that I have outside of say just like my professional goals. One of those, and I don't think I've really shared this with anybody else. So this is a first. You're the first to hear this. I think one of those goals is within five years. I would like to perform at least a handful of stand-up comedy engagements. I love it. I absolutely endorse it. And as as you may know, Matt, I have uh, done stand-up. That's and, right. Uh, so I'm a big fan of it. So I love that. Good, good goal. Well, thank you. It was a goal that I had when I was eight years old, and I got talked out of it by uh, by adults who helped me understand that that was not a lucrative goal and I wouldn't likely be very financially successful with it, but now I want to revisit it. So I start to think about, well, what are the things that I can be doing right now to help me prepare for that? And I think about the content that I write, the videos that I make, my speaking engagements, and how can I hone my humor and inject humor in there and then inject humor into my speaking engagements, engage audience reactions to understand what about the jokes that I say or the body language or facial expressions that I make resonates in, in a humorous manner or doesn't, and then be able to work on it from there. I think that's amazing. And I'm going to make a friendly amendment. Ooh. And my friendly amendment, feel free to ignore me, no, <laughs> is... I don't think it should be a five-year goal, brother. I think it should be a one-year oh, goal man. because now there are, I mean, I'm sure, you know, where you are that, that there are probably classes, but even if it turns out there aren't, uh, because of the pandemic, just about everywhere has started doing virtual classes. I'm, I literally, as you were talking, I Googled the place that I took my comedy classes, which is called the Manhattan Comedy School. And I'm seeing on their homepage, classes are available both in person and online. Wow. You could sign up for an online course this year and actually just get started doing it. You know, low stakes, right? And But learn by doing. There you go. And here I am in Nashville with the Nashville cost of living, but I'd still be able to access the uh, New York Manhattan Comedy School. That's right. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. I love it. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm writing that down on my to-do list and later on I'll estimate how much time that'll take. That's the move. I like it. <laughs> so I'm curious as it relates to becoming long-term thinkers, are there questions that people should ask themselves to help them be a better long-term thinker? Well, I think there's there's definitely a few questions that can be beneficial for people to ask. And some of these are are ones that I try to revisit regularly. And you know, one one example, for instance, which of course is well known to productivity aficionados, uh, relates to the so-called Pareto principle, the 80-20 principle, which is what 20% of my activities are generating 80% of the results. Right. And I think we, you know, we live in a world where time and again, um, you know, Vilfredo Pareto was an Italian economist and he demonstrated 
that there were patterns in in land ownership where 20% of the people owned 80% of the land. I was just reading an article this morning about American stock ownership. And, you know, it's, it's even more extreme in terms of, uh, you know, a small number of people holding most of the assets, but of course it plays out in almost every facet of our lives. And it's true in terms of our work, that there are certain things that generate a disproportionate output. And we need to be mindful and aware of what they are and get pretty ruthless about emphasizing them and de-emphasizing other things. Absolutely. And uh, a lot of times, so I, I understand the 80-20 rule and I call it the 80-20 rule because I always get Pareto principle and Parkinson's law confused. And I, all, and I always assign the wrong name to either of them, but it hit me when you started talking about that, uh, the Pareto principle and I think Parkinson's law relate to playing the long game. So being able to understand where to focus your efforts to get that value and get that significant impact at the same time, recognizing you know, Parkinson's law says that we will fill up whatever amount of space we're given, whether it's a physical space or really a space of time. And so that relates to the power of using your calendar, using your to-do list, estimating how much time it will take, and knowing exactly how to fill up the time that you've been given. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. We have to be extremely vigilant about protecting our our calendars because the natural impulse, the way the way things go if we are not is that every moment will get sucked up because the truth is it is more convenient for other people if every moment of our calendar is sucked up. You are not going to have somebody else be your advocate for this. You are the only person who can really defend the borders of your uh, of your calendar and of your white space. And it takes a lot more work than we think that it does to be able to defend that white space in our calendar. Absolutely. Yes. You you have to you have to be on guard all the time. Your uh visitors uh who who want to intrude on your calendar, they do not look like barbarians at the gate. Uh they are they're not wearing, you know, clubs and sticks, but nonetheless, we have to treat them as enemy incursions. You know, no, no, we do not have time for these things. We have to uh protect our, our priorities. You shall not pass. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, go, going forward, anybody that sends me calendar request or, you know, calls me or asks me for my time, I have to visualize them now wearing like that big Viking helmet and having like big armor on and having a battle axe swinging at me. And that's going to help me to be more on guard with my time. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> so once someone has made the decision to play the long game. And if we're talking like a multi-year period of time, things can happen. And um, some people refer to this as the messy middle, you know, like sometimes like, you know, you, you start out great, you end great, but sometimes in the middle, there's things that happen. And a lot of times I can see people playing the long game and they're not seeing immediate results or they're getting into the messy middle what can they do to keep moving forward or to keep the faith as they're in the middle of the long game? Yeah, this is this is always the big challenge because 
for a meaningful enough goal, there is often a fairly large amount of time between setting off on the voyage and arriving at shore. So a lot of things can go wrong. Uh, You can get turned around. You can feel like you're off course and wonder if you're even sailing in the right direction. So, so yes, there's, there's a lot of factors that contribute to some people just giving up or quitting. And I think a lot of times they are quitting too soon and prematurely. So I think one crucial element that I like to recommend that everybody undertake as quickly as possible is actually making the time and effort to scope out the expected duration of what you are trying to do. And to get specific, there's actually um, part of the long game where I talk about a 2018 shareholder letter that Jeff Bezos wrote to Amazon shareholders. And in it, he talks about this anecdote that I think is so revealing. He had a friend who wanted to learn how to do yoga handstands. And so she hired a coach for this, which is kind of amazing. And the coach said, that the average person, if you ask them how long it would take to learn to become proficient at handstands, they would usually answer about two weeks. But it actually takes six months of daily practice, meaning 24 weeks. It is a difference of 12x in terms of what people casually think versus what the reality is. And I think so often we make the same mistakes in coming up with a plan for ourselves. We don't really know what things take, you know, what what the journey actually looks like. And of course, you know, it's going to be different for different people, but it's also probably not wildly different. You know, it is possible that uh, if it takes, you know, 10 years for somebody to do something that you might do it in a year, Uh, But it's a lot more likely that it might take you nine years or 11 years. And so just knowing what is expected, you know, asking those questions. So, you know, it involves research. It involves building up a network so that you actually can ask those questions. But, you know, finding things out like, hey, if you're starting a business, how long did it take you before you started to get traction? How long did it take you before you hit six figures? How long did it take you before you hit seven figures? You know, what was what was the process like? in, you know, doing X, Y, and Z, finding out other people's experience and really getting into the details rather than assuming helps guide you. Because if you're setting off on this journey and you think it's going to take you three months, and meanwhile, nine months later, you're still out in the canoe, you're probably going to get discouraged and think, oh, wow, this is, this is going terribly. This is awful. But The problem might not be the journey and it might not be you. The problem might be that it's actually a year long journey. And you just, as we were talking about earlier with our calendars, you underestimated it. And so having a sense of what is rational and realistic to expect is probably the most important thing that we can do to enable us to not give up prematurely on something that could be quite good. Absolutely right. And then if you go back to what you were talking about earlier about like those three main components around your entrepreneurial you lessons, if you're focused on building your network, at least, because like not everybody has content creation in their jobs and roles and not everybody has to have, well, I guess social proof does help. But if you focus on your network and you start asking these questions, okay, so how long did it take you? At what point did you see this? And if you ask the other questions around, okay, what lessons did you learn along the way? Some of those people 
are going to share lessons with you that are going to help you shave time off. So instead of 10 years, maybe it's nine, maybe it's eight and a half, but none of those lessons are going to take the place of you doing the reps that you have to do to go the long haul, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So on the other side, a lot of people will want to quit when it's not time to quit yet. On the other side, I can think, you know, sometimes our dreams, sometimes our goals, they're just simply not going to work. And we actually should walk away from them. So what can people do to understand when it is the right time to walk away? Yeah. So this is this is an important distinction, of course, because you know, there's there's both sides of it. I tend to believe that what people are often more worried about is staying too long in, you know, with an idea or with a project that uh, should be tanked. You know, no, nobody like wants to be the idiot, basically. <laughs> but I actually think what is far more common is the reverse that that they give up too soon. But that's not to say that it never happens that you stay too long pursuing something that is inappropriate. And so, you know, obviously there are certain things that are forcing functions. Uh, with Silicon Valley startups, for instance, why is it that certain things pivot? Well, sometimes it's not because they're a bad idea. Sometimes it's literally just that they run out yeah. of cash. And so they are forced to to shut something down and, and try something else. And oh, maybe we can do a raise if we focus on this other thing. But if we're talking about an individual pursuing a goal or something like that, I think that one thing that's important to uh, to really try to understand is you know to have a group of people around you that meet two criteria. And this goes back to network. One is ensuring that the people actually really care about you and want the best for you. Of course, that's sort of a, a minimum precondition. Yeah. But the that's second, the yeah, exactly. The second piece is that they actually should be knowledgeable in your field, not just a general cheerleader for you, but knowledgeable in your field so that they can provide advice that you trust. Because when you are in the thick of a journey, we are often not very rational. We often get a little too emotionally invested, either in the ups or the downs. And so being able to turn to people that you genuinely respect and whose judgment you trust and have, you know, and say, hey, you know, is this a lost cause or should I keep going? And right. you know, it's useful to have multiple ones, hopefully, because if you triangulate, I mean. There's probably always going to be a bull. There's probably always going to be a bear. But if you have a brain trust of, you know, six or eight people who you really trust and, you know, six of them say, no, Matt, this really has something here. Like, keep going, keep pushing. That's extremely useful data. And it doesn't mean they're they're guaranteed to be right. But it means if, you know, if, if the vast majority of smart people that you respect think that something is promising it means that there's at least a, a good fighting chance that if you persist longer, it could turn into something. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, make sure that you've got the right people in place that you trust, that have your best interest, but also that really understand what it is you're trying to do. Exactly. So I want to take it out of uh, the entrepreneurial career professional discussion, because I've been thinking about this as it relates to my role as a parent. And I think about my kids. So today it seems like my kids have more and more distractions, 
lots of things that can prevent them from being long game thinkers. So I'm curious if you've got advice on what I can do as a parent to encourage and foster long game thinking in my children. Well, I, I love the question. And one of the things that, that I allude to in the long game, actually, at the close of the book, is the very famous marshmallow study, which uh, some of your listeners yes. will be familiar with by the psychologist Walter Michel. Right. Uh, for those who are not familiar with it, uh, there was a famous study years ago. Hey, kids, you can have one marshmallow now, or you can have two marshmallows if you wait. <laughs> oh, so hard. <laughs> Very hard, very hard. Um, but for me, probably the most interesting piece of that study is, and I think a piece that is less commonly appreciated, is that it is not there is a fixed state where, you know, just, oh, some people are instant gratification people and some people are the people that can wait. It, it is absolutely true that studies showed that years later, decades later, the people who could wait for the marshmallow had much better life outcomes. They were more likely to have gotten an education. They were more likely to be you know, healthy and successful. But it's not that you're born that kind of person and that's just who you are. I think it's really important to reject the deterministic point of view. What the study also revealed is that you can teach kids strategies so that they can get better at resisting the lure of the marshmallow. The kids who grabbed the marshmallow, they just didn't have the right strategies. They're kids, you know, they didn't know. Right. But if you if you actually teach them, okay, so if you really want something and but you know it's better to wait, here are some things you can do. And in the case of marshmallows, it's okay, well first of all, don't stare at the marshmallow for 15 minutes. That's not going to help. Yeah. <laughs> that only hurts. Yes. Another is you can you can try to pretend that the marshmallow isn't really a marshmallow. You can say, "Oh, what if it's actually a cloud?" and you dissociate yourself from the uh, yumminess temporarily. You know, obviously, uh, life strategies are slightly different than marshmallow strategies, but the principle holds. We can teach ourselves and others uh, strategies for being able to be a better long-term thinker. Maybe it involves, first of all, there's with the marsh as with the marshmallows, it's about stepping back from the immediate temptation. It's also about focusing in and centering more clearly what the end goal is. You know, just reminding ourselves, oh, I'm doing this because I want X and making that seem more present and less far away can be a powerful motivational tool. Oh yeah. So focusing on, on your purpose, focusing on your why. And in that situation, the why is two marshmallows. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in the case of, you know, us as professionals or whatever, it's things like, oh, well, it's going to be so, you know, yeah, it's hard to sit down and write this book, but it's going to be so meaningful when I'm able to hold the copy of the book in my hands and, you know, give it, give it to the people that I care about or whatever the milestone is. That's it. Being able to hold the book in your hand, flipping through and getting that, that new book smell. And like all the feelings that come with launch day, like that's your why. And then how the message is going to help so many other people too. That's your why too. I love it. All right, Dory, last question for you. If you were to create a five song soundtrack for the long game, what songs would you include? 
Oh my goodness. I love it. I love it. Thank you for the question, Matt. So I came up with a, with a soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, you were kind enough to, to tip me off. So I have to confess, I forgot that it was like songs for the long game. I kind of missed that, but I just made a soundtrack of completely oh, awesome no songs. <laughs> and that's great too. It's, it's your own Dory Clark soundtrack. It's the Dory Clark soundtrack. That's right. So we got Gotta Be by Desiree. It's a good, you know, kind of empowering dance song. There I have Proud by Tegan and Sarah. Um, I have What You Own by Rent, which is a little bit of, you know, ang- angsty fun. Uh, yeah. gotta be there's your real. Broadway connection, right? Absolutely. Yes. One of the things I talk about in, in the long game is my quest to write a musical that ends up on Broadway. So I'm, I'm work, working on that as my long game strategy. Uh, we've got gotta be real by Cheryl Lynn. Cause you know, every good playlist needs a little disco and raise your glass by pink because we have ah. to celebrate the small wins on the way to the long game. That's it. Absolutely. I mean, you can't just wait until you hit that big milestone to celebrate, you've got to celebrate at every single mile. Love it. I love that soundtrack right there. Well, Dory, this has been really fun. I'm so glad I got to see you again and we got to talk and I've learned a lot from you, but where can people go to learn more? I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Matt. If folks are interested in learning how to apply the the long game to their own lives and careers, I will suggest that they check out my free long game strategic thinking self-assessment and they can get it doryclark.com slash the long game. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And being able to have that assessment helps you understand where you are with yourself and helps get an introduction of how you might need to apply some of these strategies. So I love it. Dory, great seeing you. Great talking with you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Matt. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Dory Clark. So go ahead, check out her book, The Long Game. It's going to help you and your team be more strategic about planning your trajectory and help you get a better feeling about where you are today in relation to where you want to be. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead, hit the subscribe button. It's going to make it so much simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Ken Coleman. Ken holds the title as America's Career Coach. He's the number one best-selling author of The Proximity Principle, and he's the nationally syndicated radio host of The Ken Coleman Show that's heard on over 70 stations, Sirius XM, and his own podcast, where he helps listeners discover what they were born to do while providing practical steps to make their dream job a reality. And Ken's newest book, comes out next week from paycheck to purpose the clear path to doing work you love in from paycheck to purpose ken lays out the seven stages for discovering and doing the work you were born to do so go ahead and subscribe you'll automatically get ken's episode as soon as it's live until then keep it simple thanks for joining us for this episode of the simple brand podcast Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. 
same mat time, same mat channel. Until then, keep it simple.